0: On this vote, the yeas are 216, the nays are 210. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. The Office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant.
1: Welcome back to the Facts About PACs podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Isler, NAPAC's Executive Director. For the first time in 113 years, the office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives has been declared vacant. We have witnessed history and chaos this week, Adam Belmar.
2: We sure have, Michaela. And it turns out, avoiding the self-inflicted fiscal damage of a government shutdown was the straw that broke the proverbial camel's back. It was just before noon on Tuesday, October 3rd, a rebellion led by Representative Matt Gates from Florida led to the House of Representatives voting to oust Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Why? Well, putatively because on Saturday, September 30th, the last day of the fiscal year, the Speaker relied on Democratic votes to help pass a 45-day continuing resolution to keep the federal government's lights on.
0: You know, Michaela, Adam, there's so much to try to understand here. I mean, first and foremost, you know, I lost a lot of money betting on Kevin McCarthy against that head of lettuce and got cleaned out there thinking he
1: would outlast it. But this is uncharted territory, right? Is that maybe the way that we want to say it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is uncharted territory. And we'll get right into that momentarily with insights worthy of our employee funded and business trade association PAC community.
2: The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's Snap activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community.
1: Thanks, Adam, and thank you, David Shield, for being here with us for this really important conversation today. Absolutely. So let's start with the most practical question that all of our listeners are likely getting themselves right now: What in the hell happened here?
0: You know, I think what's interesting about this, as I thought about it this week, is we were all prepared for a certain kind of uncertainty. We were all getting ready for a house fire and there was a flash flood. We all thought that we were going to have a government shutdown. Of course, that wasn't that wasn't eliminated. It was postponed. It was moved to the right. And having lived through a few of those in the political involvement space, I remember the tension—the very real tension—that sort of surrounded this idea of the government's broken. But I'm here to raise money for candidates for government office because we need the government. And this weird contradiction inherent in that in that statement. Well. Some might comment that the government is broken again, but for a different reason, right? It's not an inability to pay its bills. At least on the House side, it's an inability to act and gather under the Constitution's guidelines because it lacks a leader. Different problems, to be sure, but I guess maybe that overall threat of dysfunction hits our PAC managers, hits our political involvement community very directly, because I think that we all start from this place of we have a thriving American democracy. It is a process where we can petition for a redress of grievances, and that is what we do when we get ourselves involved in the political process. Pacts are a way that we do that. So what do we do when the government's not working? I mean, there's just a fundamental challenge there because I think the environment of involvement is better. The soil is more fertile, I guess you would say, when people believe things are functioning as they should. There is a degree of comedy. There is a degree of working together, even with partisanship that we can believe in. And the institution rolls forward. No one's tripped the breaker. No one's taken uh, one of four wheels off the car.
2: I think, David, you're spot on. It does occur to me that from the PAC perspective, that what happened here was a lesson that's really painful and difficult to learn again. And that is that There is this very great importance, not just in our Constitution, but in our culture, about compromise in American democracy, about finding a way to give enough to make both sides feel that they are getting to move forward and bring home something that was important. David, I I get the sense that this is always the mission to find candidates who are aligned and moving forward and not looking to grandstand. And when we see it, for whatever this was, it was a failure to find compromise and move forward, it seems.
0: It's interesting, you know, there's this old trope about how when you ask people about their member of Congress, they have nothing but rave reviews. And when you ask them about the institution of Congress, they, they say, let's, let's throw the bums out, right? And here you have an instance where it's a small number of individuals that have derailed the train. I think there's consensus on that, right? Regardless of whether you thought the train should have been derailed, it is an extreme minority of people doing the doing the derailing. And so it's interesting from a political involvement perspective, how you talk to people about the institution. Do you say, The candidates we support are still good, are still valid, are still with us on our issues? Or do you say the majority of Congress writ large is still with us as people who want to work and move forward, and there's an extreme minority? And what sort of message and trust liability do you face if, in fact, you are a part through your contributions, through your support of this extreme minority, right? I don't know that that's going to hit a broad cross-section of corporate and association PACs. But, hey, open secrets will tell us, right? And we've faced similar questions in the last few years about, hey, there's one definitive moment in this politician's life, in this candidate's life that defines them, and you're a financial backer of theirs. What does that make you?
1: David, that was really going to be my question from the PAC perspective. You know, Really, I think all of us are thinking, how do we proceed at this point? And I think you probably have – some of the same experience I've had with some of the frustrations that our listeners are probably hearing from their members. You know, how do you answer questions like, "Why do we even bother to do this, or does it really make a difference?"
0: Yeah, I I'm not a big fan of cynicism about the the democratic process in general. Um, I don't think I'm naively optimistic because, again, 25 years in Washington, you've seen a lot, experienced a lot, you've done a lot, but I don't know where you go from. We can't trust the process don't vote, don't vote with your wallet, don't get involved, don't voice your opinion because it's all broken. If you're seeing that sort of cynicism in your audience, which is maybe what you're asking, Michaela, like what what if the the shoe is reversed? I'm the Mr. Smith goes to Washington true believer, but the audience is very much fed a steady diet of Washington is dysfunctional, Washington is a swamp. What do you say to those people? I think what you say is, I can tell you stories about people who are with us on the issues. I can tell you stories about people who have toured our facility, been to our plant, who have consistently supported us on the issues that matter. They are still there, so we must still be there. I would get very specific very quickly to say, we're out here to support Congress. We're here to support individual candidates for Congress or even for the state house, or for the legislature, like, whatever it might be, get back to individuals quickly and away from this idea of. It's broken and we keep it broken.
2: Facts. Facts about PACs. I'm nodding my head vigorously because I agree with you. And and I think that interpretation of the question for all of our audience members as they try and figure out, you know, what's the best way to honor the question? Because it's a fair question and people are going to ask it. And this isn't their everyday life. But I think when we think about our mission in the employee funded and business trade association PAC space, Everyone is looking to elect a candidate that wants to enact legislation that's going to be helpful to the country, helpful to our economy. And that is something that's more important now than ever. And at at sort of a basic level, as we help people understand what a continuing resolution is, it is both an abdication of setting new policy. It's kicking things down the road. It is moving this down on the x-axis to the right. And what that means is all of those questions we didn't answer. All those votes we didn't take, all of those new policies that were supposed to be enacted, haven't been. And that's going to land us with a whole new set of members in the House after the next election. And that's what we're working for, Michaela, to help support the candidates who are interested in getting that job done.
1: I think that's exactly right. And I, I keep coming back to this all week is like, we're needed now more than ever, truthfully, getting in front of our solicitable class, our employees, our members, we function better when people are engaged. And so I think for all of our listeners, for all of our members, this is the time to not let off the gas, we've got to stay in front, we've got to address the concerns, we've got to listen and hear and understand that people are frustrated. But We can't stop. We have to keep moving forward.
2: So, David, your language at the top uh, and the metaphor of what we were girding for and what we actually got seems so viscerally true to me. Let me throw this at you. When there is this swirling firestorm, other things can get sucked into it. And we'd be naive to think that discussions that are going on right now... In addition to who will be the next speaker, might also potentially include a whole bunch of things that some people think is really smart, like removing PAC money from the system, which of course we know is misguided. But as we consider our own transparency and accountability in giving regulated funds, what are PAC professionals listening? How do they consider what they need to do when this potentially comes to the fore? And people are saying, no, we want to silence your members and your employees.
0: You know, there's always some people will always see opportunity in crisis, right? I think I get concerned about what other key functions of government might not be moved forward and accomplished because, of course, you know, we have this this leadership vacuum. Um, You have seen some interesting proposals in recent days to resurrect things like a ban on members trading stocks and a ban on lobbying uh, revolving doors. Essentially, Um, I do think that the House needs leadership period, full stop. And the longer it lacks it, the more things pile up, right? A bottleneck of problems starts to to form, which may drive people to say, look, we need to solve the immediate problem of having leadership. Does the compromise have to rewrite the rules of the road? I would be skeptical that that's going to happen. I'd be concerned. I'd be watching carefully. You know, you, Adam, a point sort of adjacent to what you're saying is that this gets so Byzantine and it gets so complicated so quickly. This is, I'm going to go back to one of my core principles, which is your employees your members, your eligible class should get information about politics from you when appropriate. You should be a trusted source. You should filter and distill and, and blast out to people what they need to know and why it matters to them. Because you probably have, you know, sort of three camps, right? You have people who think this doesn't affect me at all. The PAC will be back next year with, with its solicitation. This massively affects me and how come I'm not hearing from the PAC? And then a certain amount of um, apathy right? I just don't, I don't pay attention to Washington generally. So I'm not even aware, like who's Kevin McCarthy, right? Is he dating Taylor Swift? Like, I don't know who this is. No, like I, you got to address all those audiences, but I, I'm always in favor of proactive communications. I'm always in, in favor of saying more when people want you to shut up the unsubscribe. <laughs> but for now, I think it's part of the duty of someone running a political operation to say, okay, you may be wondering what this means to us. Here's what I can tell you. I'm surrounded by very professional political advocates, my lobbying team, my GR team. Here's our assessment of things. Here's where it might come back to hit us. And we're keeping a close eye on it. And then as to the question of, is it going to affect political involvement writ large? Boy, that's where NADPAC comes in. That's where trade associations, that's where any number of groups that represent political advocacy professionals, political involvement professionals, that's where I think they've got to do their most important work.
1: I think, David, that's precisely why, you know, we wanted to do this show today. Um, there's so much uncertainty. There's so much frustration. I think, honestly, pack managers on the heels of the last three years that we've had are worn down. And I think... In some ways, you know, it's important that they know there's a resource here at NAPAC. We can continue this conversation. We can provide that guidance. We can provide best practices. We can showcase that we know when you're continuing to communicate and be in front of your members, the more they're engaged, the better it is for your program and for your organization.
0: Yeah, I would say don't get don't get paralyzed. Right. This is not a time to be any more pessimistic about the country or institution of government than maybe any number of times in the last hundred years. I don't think that's that's naive optimism on on my part. I think people look to their government relations teams. I think they look to their Washington offices. and, And here's what I would say. Right. A lot of the companies that are members of our association, a lot of the organizations that are these blue chips, these known institutions in American life, they are outlasting the House and Senate majorities. They are outlasting the leaders. I've got a lot more faith that Coca-Cola and Boeing are going to be here in five years and 10 years and 15 years than I have faith that a certain party, a certain representative, a certain faction, a certain block, whatever they call themselves, is going to be running the government. I think there's going to be a congressional dome standing at the top of the hill. And I think that a lot of the groups that we're affiliated with have staying power. So keep that in mind. Things are
2: going to change under that dome. Your job remains the same. Yeah. I mean, listen, we just finished the Constitution Month. Down here at James Madison's Montpelier and across the country, 1787, we signed our founding document and the articles of our constitution that pertain to the construct of our government have proven that we are durable, we are adaptable, and I completely concur, David, that it's nowhere near as bad as it looks. And so don't believe the hype, okay, and understand that the minority of the majority is what's at issue here. But there are so many people, a durable, business-oriented, economically understanding coalition of leaders across the aisle who share so much of what we are all about and why we continue to engage in finding the best candidates and re-upping the best people to represent us and our families and our businesses in Washington. And we will continue. Don't be daunted, but these questions are very, very fair, and they're always worthy of our consideration.
1: Well, there you have it. The pack hype men. David Schild, Adam Belmar, thank you both for your candor, your wisdom, and insights today. This is really what makes ours the number one PAC podcast in America.
0: When times are tough and it's storming outside, I like to think that this show is the umbrella under which you can seek some philosophical shelter.
1: I love it. And thanks to everyone listening to the Facts About PACs podcast. Subscribe and share and meet us right back here next week for another piping hot, fresh episode.